One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Tortoise. Hello, welcome to Trendy from Tortoise. I'm Rachel Wolf, And I'm John Curtis. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about one of society's great levellers, time. We all have 24 hours in a day, or 1,440 minutes, no more and no less. The question is, what do we do with our time? With our days, years, our 4,000 weeks on earth and how has that changed so rachel what do you like doing most with your time well as i think we'll probably explore john what i like doing with my time may not perfectly correlate with what i do do with my time ah uh, that maybe is true of all of us but yes i like going on holiday and to restaurants and to the theater uh what i do with my time largely is work sleep and Unlike perhaps uh, women of 50 years ago, spend lots of time actively looking after my children. How about you? I'm sure your children benefit from your, your, <laughs> I don't your think they like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, Rachel, of course, my, my, my daughter's long since grown up and f- uh, uh, flown the nest and has her, and has her own children. Um, for me, I think it's a bit different and I'm probably a little bit peculiar. So as many people may know, I have an allotment and I certainly love going out and doing that once a week. Uh, come rain, come shine. Um, but to be honest, I also like working and I like working at home, um, which is probably why I'm, why I'm still doing this at the age of 70. Um, because basically somebody pays me to do what I like to do. Now that I admit I'm probably somewhat unusual but then of course academics have always been in that rather unusual position of essentially more or less defining for themselves what they do rather than doing what anybody else tell them to do anyway we'll find out later on um, just how typical we are or not so why does this matter why, why, why does the way we use our time matter at all why should we be interested in it well I guess there's a very obvious answer to that question which is time is the ultimate limited resource. We've become much richer over the last couple of centuries. Technology and innovation has allowed us to spend our time completely differently. But the absolute quantum of time that we have hasn't increased massively. Our life expectancy has gone up, but it started to stall. And the number of years that we have that are healthy isn't increasing dramatically. So how we spend our time matters very much 
to us, but it also matters enormously to society. It matters in terms of what the economy consists of, but it also matters in terms of equality between people. Do we spend our time equally and are we able to spend our time equally? Yeah, it's interesting you you, you made reference to the economy. Of course, what's also true about time use studies is that whereas when we're talking about the economy, we tend to focus on things where you know money is exchanged hands and above all it's paid work rather than unpaid work. But of course, much of what makes society operates, like looking after children, like ensuring that for the most part we get uh, et and fed and clothed, um, etc., depends on so-called unpaid work. And therefore, time use studies, as it were, gives us a, perhaps a more rounded picture of the kinds of things that contribute uh, to our well-being. And of course, what's also true, and this is perhaps you know one reason why policymakers have an interest in what we do, um, is that it can clearly affect our health and well-being. You know, if we spend too much time sitting in front of the television in our leisure time, um, as opposed to getting up into the allotment, running, whatever it is you like, um, we know pretty well that this can have a deleterious effect on our health. But I guess also the other thing that, and we're clearly going to talk about this in this podcast, is the way in which we use our time, like so much human activity, A, reflects social norms, the things that we think it's normal for people to do. And that's something that's a, a consequence of, 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 of our shared expectations. But also, of course, our social structure. As our economy changes, as the structure of paid employment changes, as we're going to discover, so does the way we use our time. But, I, it, but then there's also one interesting wrinkle to all of this, which takes us back to the history of, of, of time studies and when it all started. Of course, if you're somebody trying to sell leisure, how people use their time and when they use their time is rather important. And lo and behold, we discover that the first study of um, time, systematic study of time in the UK, was actually done by the BBC in 1961. And it was done because the BBC, of course, were trying to work out, well, what's the best time to put the archers onto uh, what was then the home service or housewife's choice onto the light programme, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, there wasn't any daytime television um, uh, in the early 1960s. Um, but you can see, therefore, more broadly why all of this is potentially commercially valuable and important as well. So, John, tell us a little bit about how our time has changed since the BBC first looked at when to put on the archers, not presumably that long after it first started broadcasting children's shows. Listen with Mother was about 10 years earlier, I think. Indeed, yes. The, Ar um, the archers is the early 1950s as well. Yes, yes. So if you were, for example a child in the 1960s, son of a joiner. How were your parents and how were you spending your time compared with now? In many ways, what happens now and what happened in the 1960s, including my parents, it's not that dissimilar. Um, but um, what's certainly true is that, you know, my father was going out to work a great deal. Men back in the 1960s were, you know, working on average around eight hours a day, you know, and this is including the weekends. 
And this reflects the fact that, of course, at that stage, the normal working week, at least for men who were the dominantly in the workforce, is that they were uh, working um, not just Monday to Friday, nine to five, they were working on a Saturday morning. I can well remember my father for many, many years getting up and working and going to work on Saturday morning. Also started work very early. Don't think nine o'clock, think seven o'clock. Went to work before breakfast. They then had a break um, after a couple of hours uh, doing breakfast. So working hours were longer. Uh, the, uh, the working week uh, was longer. My mother was probably somewhat unusual in the sense that she did work, but she worked part-time. She didn't work as much as my father did. She was the person who was principally responsible for childcare, etc., etc. Though I guess my parents were somewhat unusual, and this, is, this was partly because of an illness my mother had, um, the household tasks were actually shared quite a bit. Uh, though, in truth, my father never really could cook. There was a famous incident when he tried, I think, to poach some eggs. Uh, and he said, quote, the egg um, jumped out of the pan, i.e. He, <laughs> he missed. Um, so you can also see, and we'll, we'll come on to this, a picture where, you know, there is a, a fair amount of gender division of labour, although perhaps in, in my family's case, perhaps somewhat less. But I mean, what would you... You're, so you're a child of, what, 20 years later, Rachel. So what picture do you have? As in our social mobility episode, your parents' life is quite similar to my grandparents' life. So my grandfather went to work, including on Saturday morning. One thing he did, which is a big difference from the 1960s to now, is he used to come home for lunch. And my grandmother would make lunch for him to come home to, uh, including on Saturday. You see these big spikes in the time diaries where everyone used to sit down for lunch at the same time of day in a way that is... Not true now. Which implies less commuting and more working close to home. Much more yeah. working closely. Yeah, absolutely. My grandfather walked to work. I don't know about your... Cycled. ...father cycled to work. By uh, And my grandmother didn't work when my mother was uh, a child. She actually went back to work later. She retrained as a social worker. But when my mother was a child, she was not working. So she was much more traditional. By the time you get to the 1980s... Well, I, I should say that... Um, my mother was perhaps not entirely typical. She worked full-time and was determined to work full-time. It was still, and is still, more normal for women to work and did you su- And did you suffer as a child, Rachel, as a result of that? I- I'm told that I guilt-tripped her mercilessly, <laughs> and I am now suffering from this in turn. So karma is coming back to bite me because my children, too, guilt-trip me for for working. But, uh, but no. You mean, uh, you mean you've not got the social stereotype out of them? <laughs> no, not at all. We'll come on to that. But it's extremely unfair. Uh, but so my, my mother worked, my father worked. Um, by that time, they were working Monday to Friday. They were work, They were commuting. So there was certainly no lunch in the home. Uh, but in other ways, as a child of the 80s, there, there are still quite a lot of similarities. So it was still, it was much more likely that women worked but women were still, by and large, the ones picking children up at the school gate. Yeah. Many of them were not working. The yeah. ones who were working were often working part-time. And they were still predominantly the ones who were doing the household labour. So if I think about my grandparents, my grandfather did the gardening, but my grandmother did everything else. My mother was certainly the person who did most of the domestic work. Uh 
And today, although I wouldn't say that I was typical, my husband does all the cooking. I don't do any. Okay, well, you 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 clearly have something in common with Nicola Sturgeon there, who is also famously <laughs> known not to be not to be able to cook. I have to I say, can my wife cook. and I he just won't let me near it. I just want to make. Oh, that I see. Oh, you mean you mean he's just a better cook than you are? He's a better all cook right, than okay, I am. Okay, yeah. fine. Well, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Um, so anyway, we. I guess we should put this into a slightly wider context now. Uh, uh, you know, how, how has things changed? And I should say first of all. For the most part here, we're going to be talking about people of working age, right? Because obviously, once you get on, and something we'll come on to later, uh, things are different. So um, one of the things that a lot has talked about how things have supposedly changed over time is that supposedly, you know, life's got busier, and we'll come on to that. Um, And as a result, you know, we don't spend enough time sleeping. Well, actually, these time use surveys show something different. It just goes to show how biology really does have an impact here that actually by the time we get to the last major time use survey before the pandemic men and women were both sleeping or at least otherwise engaged in bed for eight and a half hours a day on average and actually that was up by about 45 minutes for men and 15 minutes um, uh, for women. So sleeping is still a major part of our lives and it actually hasn't declined over time. That said, other things have changed. What's changed, uh, as we've already suggested, is that from our particular life stories and that of our parents, we do now spend collectively less time in paid work But, and we'll come on to this, while men are spending less time in work because more women are now in the workforce, women are spending more time on work. And that therefore, as a result, and of other changes, life for men and women, in terms of how they use their time, is now much more the same than was the true 40, 50 years ago. So however you and your uh, husband divide your time, Rachel, you're probably sharing tasks much more than was true of your grandparents. And that's, I think, uh, certainly true of my uh, daughter and her husband. So I think uh, it's worth dwelling on this for a moment because this kind of great gender convergence is true across comparator countries in that over the last five decades, we've seen a substantive increase in the number of paid hours of work that women do. We have therefore seen a convergence of the amount of work that men and women do. That's the first thing. The second is we have seen more leisure time. So, John, you referred to earlier to um, the way that economists versus people who do time studies, think about time. Economists have this very simplistic model often that they use call of work and this thing they call leisure, which many of us do not entirely recognise as leisure because it includes everything you're not paid for. So it includes, you know, doing the ironing and cooking and running around after your kids as well as sitting in the apartments. But they have this work-leisure dynamic. Whereas in time studies, they tend to split this more into paid work unpaid work, which are things you could pay someone to do. You could pay a cleaner to come into your home or you could pay for a cook, but you do yourself. Actual leisure, things that you are choosing to spend your time on, watching TV, going out and childcare, which is an increasing chunk of our time. 
I say all that to bring us back to this gender convergence, which is that women are doing more paid work. They're doing much less unpaid work. There's been a huge decline in the amount of domestic work that women do. Not because men are doing it all. Men are doing more, but it certainly doesn't fill the gap. But because our overall amount of time we need to spend on these things has gone down a lot. Some of it's choice. We might spend less time cooking meals, but a lot of it is technology. Yeah, indeed, the fall in unpaid work by women, um, it isn't matched by the rise amongst men. So the, the genders have become more equal, although they are not equal. But actually, it does mean, remarkably, because um, we're spending less time on household tasks, uh, collectively at least, that the amount of paid and unpaid work that we do hasn't changed that much time. So it's the division between them that's changed. It's the gender division that's changed. But somehow or another, you know what? Somebody still has to do the cleaning. Somebody still looks looks after the kids, on which we are spending more time. That's one of the choices we have made. Wait, John, sorry. We're not spending more time doing cleaning. No, 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 no. We're spending more time on childcare. Yes, that's the big change. And that, of course, comes back to what you and I were talking about when we were talking about the birth rate, is the way in which we now invest more on the fewer number of children that we now have. And that's also reflected uh, uh, very much in the time of service. But there's, but there's also uh, one other division that we should talk about, which in a sense is parad- paradoxical. So you're right. We said that um, we do now have more leisure, although we don't have as much leisure as we ha- have work even now. And this is contrary to one of the concerns that John Maynard Keynes had when he said, you know, the truth is that, you know, if if uh, productivity keeps on improving, we're just going to run out of work for people. Well, that, that certainly hasn't happened. And it particularly hasn't happened for one group in particular. And it's for those with high levels of education who are involved in professional occupations. So back in the 1960s, people in that position actually spent fewer hours in work. I think almost undoubtedly, for example, because that was the section of our society that wasn't working on a Saturday morning and didn't get to work at seven o'clock in the morning. But now this is reversed and that people who have Uh, higher educational qualifications, Uh, both men and women are more likely to be spending time at paid work. In the case of men, it's about an hour's more work per day. And in part, this is because they're more likely to be in employment, but it isn't just that. So we've had this reversal of, as it were, which is the leisure class. The leisure class now, ironically, in some senses, is those who have less in the way of educational qualifications, uh, less likely to be in professional work, as opposed to the opposite back um, in, in the 1960s. And that's a kind of fascinating... I mean, you know, is it because people with the higher levels of education are more likely to be driven, i.e. They, you know, they have the Protestant work ethic in them, um, or whether or not it's a consequence of the work demands that are being put on them and that they tend, for example, to work at home in the evenings, etc., etc.? So a relatively professional man in the 1960s would have more leisure than his lower socioeconomic counterparts. And this was part of a very long trend where it was the aristocrat who didn't have to work. And this was a huge part of, of status for a very long time. And it was the working man that had to work. Now, if you're at the top of the income or socioeconomic distribution, you're actually working more hours often than people who are in lower socioeconomic groups. So now one of your a status symbol is working more, not less. And then there are there are, I think, two other differences that's just worth noting for that man. 
The first is that you are spending some more time on domestic work. You're not doing as much as women, but you are spending more time sharing household tasks than you would have done 50 years ago. And it's particularly true for professional men. Yeah. And particularly true for professional men. And the third thing, which is particularly true for professional men, is you are spending much more time on active childcare. So again, you're not spending as much time as women, but professional men are much more likely to be spending lots of time actively looking after and spending time with their children now than they would have been in the 1960s. So I think in an earlier episode, John, I talked about the famous five, which has this remote figure of Uncle Quentin, who's doing terribly important research, and then occasionally comes out to yell at the children and refuse to believe them about their antics until they prove him wrong at the end of the episode. And he's this remote, slightly forbidding figure that you stayed away from. Uncle Quentin today is down on the floor making Lego with his kids. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a very big change. So, so for, a, for a professional man, you get status from working more, looking after your kids more, and actually, therefore, you're spending less time in leisure, classic leisure, than, than a less professional man. If we then split lift to your less professionally uh, occupied man, you are spending a lot more time in leisure than you were. Your working hours have definitely gone down quite a lot. You are much more likely still to be in unsociable hours. So you're much more likely to be working early in the morning, late at night, weekends, and you're much more likely to be in relatively unstable employment. So your pattern of work is less predictable than if you're a, a professional man. But you are spending more time in leisure and, and possibly because you're much less likely to be living in the same household as the mother of your children, you're spending much less time on active childcare than your more professional counterparts. So, so that's, a, that's a divergence within sex. If we now split to the higher educated women, hopefully this is not, this is not getting too long, um, they, they have seen the most dramatic change, I would argue, of all. John, do you want to talk a bit about what's happened if you are uh, a professional woman from the 1960s today? Yeah, sure. If you're a professional woman as compared with the 1960s, um, you are much more likely to be in employment than was the case then, even if your children uh, were young. You're therefore much more likely to spending time in paid work. You are markedly less likely than uh, would have been the case in the past to be spending time on household tasks, though you do, like your partner, spend more time with your children, as you have already exemplified, Rachel. Um, so for the, for the professional woman, therefore, life, in a sense, is now much more similar to that of the professional man and much less like that of their mother or certainly uh, their grandmother. And in a sense, the, the, the divergence for them is much greater um, than it would have been for the professional man. But both professional men and professional women are leading lives where work is clearly a very substantial use of time where children are a priority, where uh, active leisure is something that, that, that pursue, and household tasks, in a sense, probably to some degree, are being squeezed into the minimum time possible, albeit men still seem to make that time rather more minimal <laughs> than is true of women. 
It, it certainly does seem to the case that your Sunday, if you're a man, is much more made up of television and going cycling with your friends than, than if you're a woman. Absolutely, yeah. But I think this is quite a, an important point. We should talk briefly before we go on to the next session about what's happened to children, therefore, which is this, this divergence, this convergence between sexes, but divergence between higher professional and sort of more working class women and men potentially has very major effects because they're compounding. So uh, a professional woman is more likely to be married and married to a professional man. They are both more likely to be spending intense amounts of time with their children and much more time at work. And to have resources to give their children. And money to give their children. Mm -hmm. um, and are actually spending less time in leisure. If you are a lower socioeconomic woman, you're much less likely to be married or even living with the father of your children, you are still working fewer hours, but they're more likely to be unstable hours. And you're actually spending less kind of active time nurturing and looking after your children than your um, more professional counterparts. And that's even more true for lower socioeconomic men. And, and we don't know the results of this, really. We don't know if it's going to result in growing inequality. It's perfectly possible that all that helicopter parenting upper middle class people do is a total waste of time and just makes their children miserable. We, we don't really know yet. No, sure. But it definitely is a big shit divergence in the experience of um, children. And, and we should talk about children briefly and what, what's happened to them. So there's a wonderful book called uh, British Summertime Begins by uh, Isenda Maxton Graham, who's a well-known journalist, talking about the experience of children, in this case, in, in their summer holidays and that long stretch of time in the summer in the 1960s I versus remember it well. today. I remember it well. And what is interesting, actually, is that although there was huge inequalities in income uh, the experience of these children, which was entirely unsupervised, correct, outdoor, correct, um, n not much money spent on them, no kind of bespoke activities, relatively brief, correct. if anything, formal summer holidays, was actually rather similar. They were playing quite similar kinds of games with each other with children of different ages, and you saw probably less of a divergence in the experience of children at least in their leisure time then than you do now so far we've been largely talking about the experience of the under 65s well you won't be surprised to hear that by the time you get to the group that's aged over 75 the day looks rather different first of all over 75s spend more time in bed it's nearly nine hours a day as compared to around the eight and a half hours of about, so more time on personal care. Um, they have more leisure time, but whereas those in their late 60s and early 70s, a lot of that leisure time is used on active leisure, so going out for walking or Pilates classes or yoga class or whatever, it becomes increasingly passive as people get older. It's more watching, or well, they still watch television, unlike our youngsters. Um, and that, of course, is it's both potentially a reflection of increasingly frail health, but also makes it more difficult for them to maintain a healthy lifestyle because sitting in front of the television is not necessarily good. Um, they do, um, they also, not by this stage, are not only um, mostly not in paid work, they're also doing less unpaid work than those who are in employment. Again, it's a reflection of their health. 
And if they do it, by the way, they do it. So uh, uh, older people, they're active in the mornings. It's the stereotype, in a sense, works. Um, uh, such things as they do outside the home, unpaid work or whatever, uh, they tend to do in the morning. Uh, whereas for those people in employment, it's, it, it's later in the day. So we should remember, as you get older, inevitably life is different. Um, yes, they have more leisure time. But whether they're always able to use that leisure time, as it were, in a way that's best for their health and well-being is perhaps still a, ch a challenge uh, that our society faces. In a moment, we'll be back and discuss whether or not we're just getting busier and busier. But first, perhaps appropriately, a short break. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. talking about leisure or perhaps the lack of leisure, one of the things that's often talked about more in the journalistic literature is, oh, life's so busy. We're rushed. <laughs> it's all so frenetic, right? Can we possibly uh, you know, deal with the way in which we're so rushed we are? Well, there's certainly one interesting start here which might, which, which might uh, get us started, which is one of the ways in which we can measure whether people are busy or not is the number of different things they do in a day. So how often they, do they switch from doing the hoovering to uh, dealing with the fact that the child needs to have their, their, their nappy changed to trying to get some, uh, get some work done for their employer, et cetera, et cetera. How often does that change? Now, men do about 20 different things in a day, whereas women do about 26. So, one image which is often out there, which is that life for women is rather more fragmented. They're less able to spend time concentrating on one thing, including on, on leisure activities. That does seem to be true. However, however, what doesn't seem to be true is that this fragmentation of the day is in general for either men or for women any more common now than it was certainly over the last 20, 20 years or so? 
So I suppose one of the challenges with this is that often now it feels like you might be watching or playing with your kids, but you've got your phone to your side and you're occasionally checking your emails. You have the possibility of work or leisure at any given moment. So the same is true when you're at work. You could be checking Twitter while you're recording a podcast when John is talking. And, and it's it's a possibility. I'm not doing that to be clear, John, but I'm just I, I'm raising it as a hypothetical. Um, and I suspect that is one of the reasons that people believe themselves to be more frenetic. And it's it's quite hard to measure. We have a bleeding of activities into each other in a way that would have been impossible in the 1960s. Yes. But again, you know, it's interesting. Um, multitasking is the other thing that the researchers have looked at. Um, men are now doing more of it than they were, though, you know, there is still a gender gap. But actually, women are more likely than men to feel rushed. But again, it's not clear that this has changed over time. People are, if anything, are, are somewhat less likely to say that, uh, that they actually uh, uh, feel uh, rushed. So there's a bit of a gap between, as it were, the, 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 the image that is often painted, what we discover that people do, or indeed about people's feelings um, about feeling rushed. There are some gender differences um, and women are more likely to be have a fragmented day. They're more likely to say feel rushed, but you can't then say that they feel more rushed as a consequence of their fragmentation because there's no link apparently between fragmentation and how rushed people feel. What is true, in a sense, it perhaps comes back to our, to our theme earlier, particularly about those in professional employment. People who are in work are in general more likely to feel rushed. So, you know, if you're going to work, spending long hours at work, then rushing to get home, whatever, maybe that's where we feel rushed. But in insofar as we can tell, this is not a particularly uh, new phenomenon. So again, you know, we thought a lot of people say we don't sleep enough. Well, if anything, we sleep more. We're being too busy. Well, apparently no busier than we were, although there's the, the, there are a few gender differences. But of course... There's been one really, really big event in recent years that's really had an impact, certainly in the short run, on what we did with our time. And the interesting question is, what is the impact, if any, in the longer run in what we do in time? And that, of course, is the pandemic. COVID, absolutely. So... Most of the work we've been discussing so far, these huge time use studies, are these punctuated moments, 60s, 80s. A lot of the data we've been talking about has actually been pre-pandemic in terms of modern life. And then we had this shutdown where our time completely changed, changed in very different ways, depending again on whether you had children, whether you were furloughed or whether you were still working. And then we've had the post-pandemic world, which people at least predicted at the time would be fundamentally different from the pre-pandemic world. So, John, roughly how much of our time and life has changed as far as we know since COVID? Well, so, some things, we, as we know, really did change during the pandemic. You've already talked about furlough. So we spent less time in paid work during the, the height of the pandemic. We spent more time, we spent our leisure time at home, including watching TV or on our devices, less time outside home, including socialising, one of the things that a lot of people, a lot, a lot, a lot of people missed. So there are some obvious things there that happened. 
most of which these have not survived the return to, quote, normal, unquote, life. But other things have changed. By the way, we're sleeping even a bit more than we were before the pandemic, and that's still with us. We seem to have added another 15 minutes to our, our sleeping day, perhaps helped by the fact that we are now more likely to work at home, although although um, a lot of the shift has has disappeared. Um, and and uh, the last big study on this, we got back to about 50-50 working at home, working in the workplace uh, by 2021, whereas it had been 80% work in the workplace before the pandemic. But it's been shifting even further since, according to the data since ONS. But we're not necessarily back to where we were. So we've got more working at home. And interestingly, that's one of the things that uh, we tend to like. We prefer, for the most part, typically on average, to want to work at home. And this is particularly true, by the way, for women, for whom doubtless, given they are still somewhat more involved with childcare, it makes easier to put the two things together. So here's one example. Here's one example, and there, and there are others where what has shown signs of surviving the pandemic is a shift to doing things, or it's maintaining the the, the the shift in things which we like doing. We like using our time in this way, and working from home particularly for women, is preferred to working in the office. So although a lot of the shift has gone, it's not all gone, and it's a reflection in part of our preferences. And one of the things that uh, my company did some research on is, again, those higher-earning, more professional women. And one of the things we do know is that since the pandemic, women who are in professional occupations are more likely to be working full-time hours because they can do those hours from home. So they're working, they're doing more hours of paid work and they're effectively substituting their commute for those hours while keeping the number of hours they see their children the same. That's it from Trendy for this week. I'm Rachel Wolfe. And I'm John Curtis. We'll be back again next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.